If you're looking for a podcast offering you the latest updates on the things you can do with decoupage... What? What? <laughs> I mean, I do have some expertise here, but that's kind of not what this is about. That You're absolutely correct. Thank this you. is not what this podcast is about. This is, however, comedy... Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Welcome to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage, a podcast where a longtime married couple takes turns each episode selecting something to watch, a movie, a TV show, documentary, whatever, and uh, then we sit down and talk about it with you. I am Stan the Movie Man, and we're getting closer. Hey. We're getting closer. Just about six more, five or six more days, and I will be back in a movie theater. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I will accept your congratulations. Um, I review films. You can see that at StanTheMovieMan.com. My last review uh, on the site is for Tenant, so, you know, it's been a while. But next weekend, I'll have something up there for that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Movie Man Stan. And you can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. And if you want to get a hold of us, a couple of ways to do that. You can send us an email, comedy tragedy marriage at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message by clicking or copying and pasting the link in the description of this episode. Joining me, as always, is the one, the only, the beautiful, the radiant, the spectacular... Oh, my. My other half... Maud, the wide-eyed, naive broad. Oh, that hasn't happened in a while. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was your choice this week, yes. and please, tell us what you chose and why. Yes, I'm wide-eyed, wide naive Maud this week because I chose the 1939 film... Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, directed by Frank Capra, starring Gene Arthur and James Stewart, and also featuring Claude Rains and Edward Arnold. Mm -hmm. um, this movie is about a newly appointed U.S. senator who fights back against a co corrupt political system um, based on a story written by Lewis Foster, um, unpublished story actually, called The Gentleman from Montana. Uh, screenplay written by Sidney Buckman and, of course, um, as we already mentioned, directed by Frank Capra. This is um, one of several Frank Capra-James Stewart collaborations. I almost, it was, but for this week, it was between Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and You Can't Take It With You. Also, James Stewart, Frank Capra, and also um, starring Gene Arthur oh, okay. as the female lead. Um, also notable to me as the music geek in the house, um, this film score was composed by Dimitri Tiomkin, who also composed the score for It's a Wonderful Life, um, released seven years later in 1946. And that is not the only connection this film has to It's a Wonderful Life, along with Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra. Uh, yeah. Actually, um, director Mr. Capra goes back to the well for character actors, um, in several instances, we have Thomas Mitchell as Diz Moore in this movie, who plays um, Crazy Uncle Billy in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. We also have Charles Lane in this film as Nosy the Reporter. He also um, had, a, had a bit part 
um, as like a bill collector, rent collector um, for the bad guy in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, several notable names here, including Baby Dumpling as one of the corrupt um, governor's kids. The corrupt governor's the, kids or the corrupt senator's kids? No, the corrupt kids? governor who, like, the senator was Claude Rains. Oh, 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 all the kids around the table. All the kids, the right, governor's right, table. Right, yeah, right. that was the governor. So, okay. Um, there, there are some faces that you'll see that you'll know. Yes. Um, again, this film from 1939, so uh, not the earliest of Frank Capra's efforts, but certainly, you know, in the earlier portion of his career. Yeah. And um, a very, I just, I told you I felt the need for some Jimmy Stewart. Okay. And I did, and he does not disappoint. His performance does not disappoint. I had not seen this film before, had you? No. Which surprises me. Other than seeing little clips of it when they talk about you know, um, you know the the uh, filibuster at the end where he collapses. Yeah, um, that's a notable scene that in American scene, cinema. Well, and often it, it is um, like for news stories and stuff where they're trying to show you the ideal of what um, what a filibuster is. Well, what a what a um, you know a senator or representative or you know, somebody like that is. Yeah. Not just the filibuster. But, yeah. Um, and this is the second sort of politically connected movie that you've selected. Because two weeks ago, we watched Anne about um, uh, the former governor of Texas. Oh, well, I also selected Charlie Wilson's War. That's true. But that back was some weeks yeah. back. Um, I, I wasn't thinking politics so much. I was just thinking I needed some Jimmy Stewart. Well, and you made an, an excellent choice. Thanks. Uh, this movie is... Uh, very well regarded. Very well regarded. It is one of the first 25 pictures uh, preserved in the Library of Congress. Nice. Um, and it has like a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um... And 8.1 out of 10, I think, on IMDb. And it, uh, it also was profitable because it was made for a million and a half dollars, which I think a million and a quarter went into the Senate set because it's huge. It's enormous, and there's, there's a very large cast for this film, there obviously, is. just with the principals and then all of the extras and all of the little adorable boys who are playing the, Senate the pages. pages. Yes, uh, and it, it made $9 million in its run, which, you know, that's like $12 trillion now or something like that. It's definitely a lot of money. Well, and according to the Wikipedia page... Um, it was somewhat controversial when it came out, mm -hmm. although it, you know, as you say, it did do well at the box office. Now, of course, it's um, very highly regarded as a, a, you know, masterpiece of American cinema. All of that being said, um, and not, you know, not being a film expert of any sort, and certainly not being an, ex an expert on the work of Frank Capra, um, this, there were elements of this film that seemed a little heavy-handed to me. Well, of course. Well, I mean, as opposed to what I feel like was much more subtle work in 
It's a wonderful life. Hmm. But feel free to offer your disagreement. Well, no. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I'm just, you know... Cinema of the late 30s, early 40s were always, you know, the points of view were usually not, you know, couched. You you quickly figured out who the good guys were and the bad guys. You, you know right off the bat that Taylor, he was Edwin Arnold. Edward. Boss Taylor. Yeah. Uh, he. Uh, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. Uh, and that the governor is in his pocket, and, um, um, you know, that we quickly learn that Claude Rains' character, um, is the senator, the senior senator from whatever mystical state this is, um, is also the bad guy. That's It's all very clear very early on who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, and they think they can take advantage of Jefferson Smith played uh, by Jimmy Stewart. Um, and everybody in the film who is a... Uh, who has been in Washington either as a reporter or as a, a politician or his secretary, um, you know, is jaded and broken and, you know... Cynical. they They know everything is crooked and it's all... Uh, glad-handing and back-slapping and deal-making, uh, and that people with, um, you know, who aren't schooled in the way government works, quote-unquote, um, are going to be chewed up and spit out if they don't get with the program. And that is, you know, there's nothing subtle about this movie. There's not that much subtle about It's a Wonderful Life, um, at least as far as the good guys and the bad guys. There's really only one bad guy. True. Uh, Mr. Potter. Um, and, um, you know, it's... it's There was... The way cinema looked at America... Um, that the little guy can succeed if he works hard enough and stays true to his um, to his morals, and you know he he will overcome any obstacle if you know he keeps his nose to the grindstone and talks for almost twenty four hours in a filibuster. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not subtle. It's not. Um, there are some beautiful montages in this film of the scenery around Washington. We mm -hmm. get the Lincoln Memorial, mm -hmm. the Jefferson Memorial, you know, all of the beautiful landmarks. And, and we see Jimmy Stewart just in wide-eyed, raptured glee mm -hmm. looking at all these things. Because he's apparently never been anywhere. And again... Nobody who's been in Washington gives a second thought. No, to, they see no, they see it all the time. To the Lincoln Memorial or, you know, the anything. The White House, the Capitol Dome. Right. He's, he's totally he's, enthralled yes, by the Capitol he Dome. He is hypnotized. He he arrives in Washington and uh the guys that are handling him uh, for the senior senator 
are trying to get him to where they go into the hotel. His office, I think. Okay, they were going to go to his office, but they took their eye off of him for just a second, and he wanders out and gets on a bus and starts a sightseeing tour of Washington. And he's gone for five hours. Completely loses track of time. Exactly. And like you said, he stands enraptured in front of the Lincoln Memorial, in front of Lincoln's statue. And, um, you know, he's he's just... And he's more than once he refers to the Capitol Dome being yeah. lit up. Um, and he just has... Uh, Smith has this um just this reverence for um the capital and the founding fathers um and and everything that washington dc we have been told it is supposed to, to represent yeah um and he quickly finds out that you know it's simply not the way it works there's also a twist here in that there is a connection between him and the senior senator from his state. Yes. Um, he and James Stewart's character's father were old friends back in the day. James Stewart's father apparently took a bullet to the back for taking some kind of political stand decades ago. Well, he, he printed and was the editor of a small newspaper that, uh, I, I think it was Mining, he he supported striking miners, and um, the uh, and he wound and even though they tried everything to get him to either stop supporting them or to support them, uh, he refused and he wound up with a bullet in his back. Yeah. So he he also was a man of principle, and we're led to believe that Claude Rains's senior senator, yes, had Senator gone, Payne, had gone to Washington as a man of principle as well. Yes, and we're kind of led to believe that that's where they all started. They they go to Washington thinking that they're going to help their districts, help their states, and help help America. And they become jaded and cynical and broken right. along the way. And right. James Stewart is just the last um, casualty of this tr process of entropy that apparently happens when you go to Washington and, and sit in the halls of Senate. Right. And he, um, the other senator from this state has recently passed away. And um, he was Mr. also Smith, in on the game. Yes, he was, um, because there's a, a big plot about uh, some land uh, that runs along a creek where they are going to build a dam, and they have been quietly buying up this land. Um, For this project. So, well, but they're going to sell the land to make a profit. Yeah. Um, and because they're using their inside information, they are buying up the land under other people's names because that would be illegal and unethical graft and corruption exactly. graft and corruption yes yeah, so we hear a lot about graft and corruption yeah. it's, uh, not, it's not wrong uh, it's not uh but you know there's uh, there's i i i really enjoyed this movie but, but. um it is so so black and white. Well, it's so black and white, but it's also, you know, Stewart's character is 
is just this babe in the woods and he he is ultimately shown to be right and vindicated um granted it, this is spoiling it but it's an 82 year old movie so get over it um <laughs> okay if you haven't watched it yet it's that's your fault uh but you know he's it is just this pure as the driven snow character that we all know you know they Doesn't don't exist, exist. yeah um, n- not just politically but in general um, we all have our darker sides and our our weaknesses and failures and you know mr smith has none he is so lily white he will blind you <laughs> don't look directly into it yes You'll lose your eyesight it'll it burn will, your retinas exactly it'll it'll fry your eyes i agree it was kind of a one-dimensional character yeah. i think that he did tremendous things with with what he was given to work with and i think part of what makes the movie so enjoyable is his naivete and his plowing forward no matter what obstacle he runs into his uh his assistant played by gene arthur clarissa saunders um you know she knows how the game is played she knows and she knows the more technical aspects of legislating legislating where you know he wants to introduce this bill to create a boys camp and you know coincidentally it just happens to be on this land that, that the bad bu- guys buying are buying up, up for, for the dam. to put eventually put underwater um but you know she explains you know to him how law is made. This is a multi-step process. You don't just write your thing out and present it, and right. it's a done deal. They vote, and that's it. No, yeah. it goes to committee. It goes to another committee. It goes to the House. They it goes revise to a reconciliation it. committee. They revise it, blah, 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 and it can she take months and months and months. She didn't even get to the part where it goes to the president's desk to be signed into law. And or vetoed. Or, uh, yes, yeah. then there's that. And then it comes back and it has to be voted on again to override the veto if they choose to. It's, you know, and I'm not even sure that is, I'm sure the rules have been changed a thousand times since this was made. I don't remember what Schoolhouse Rock told us about bills. Oh, I remember it. I'm just a bill. Yeah. Um... Google, but, Google, Google Schoolhouse Rock if you yes, don't know Yes, if it. you don't know what that is. Although I think those have kind of come back around again via Twitter and YouTube and such. But anyway, um, that sounded accurate, but, you know, what she says about how a bill gets mm-hmm. introduced and all that stuff. Um, and that is the, and of course this bill in the in the movie is what begins the uh, plot against Mr. Smith since he has uh, introduced a bill to create this boys camp which will be um, paid for by the nickels and dimes from the boys who go and use it also very quaint completely unreasonable but um, and Mr. Smith, it becomes 
an extremely popular senator because of this bill. And they use that, the bad guys use that popularity against him when they make it look like he's the one that's going to profit off of yeah. the land being used as the boys' camp. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all very, you know, neat and tidy. And, and as far as the, the frame they put him in, uh, you yeah. know, trying to get him thrown out of the Senate. And his impassioned, enthusiastic filibuster that he engages in. He also, you know, with the help of Saunders, um, plays a procedural game so that all the senators have to be in the chamber with him, or at least a quorum yeah. has to be in the chamber with him while he's making his speech. He's uh, reading the Bible, he's reading the Gettysburg Address, he's reading the Constitution, he's reading the Declaration of Independence. You know, he's, he's... He's hoping to wear him down. Right. And he eventually wears himself down. Yes. Um, and again, spoiler alert, um, the ending was abrupt. Very. It was not... And again, neither of us had seen this film before, so I don't know what I was expecting. I mean, I was expecting a happy ending. Yes. But I wasn't expecting it to just have the whole front of its face cut off it it was abrupt it's, it it's it also is unsatisfying in a way in its abruptness yes well because we don't see the bad guys get their comeuppance no we don't we assume based on um the actions and the um uh confession of senator Payne on the floor of the senate that that Jeff Smith is innocent of all the charges against him, and it's really him and others. It was my graft and corruption and greed. Yes, um, that that is uh, trying to profit from the land uh, that is um, in the bill. Um, and that that what appears to be an attempted suicide seems to come seems to be very out of left field because he's got a gun and he's he's shooting outside the chamber and it's he's being yeah. he's being prevented from killing himself miss uh, senator Payne. yeah that was um, weird yeah that was weird and then um you know then there's bedlam in the senate um as smith has collapsed and Payne is making this very loud confession and then the movie's over yeah the end i'm like wait what what just hit me yeah yeah it because was it was like done it was very weird uh, a quick montage of boss taylor and the governor uh and and all of his cronies and lackeys uh being hauled off to prison would have maybe added 30 seconds and some closure which and was some, much needed yeah um and the movie does not mind showing us kids getting beat up and uh, threatened and smacked around by grown-ups because they are printing uh, their, their little, little newspaper showing, you know, because Boss Taylor owns all the newspapers and radio stations. And has for forbidden them, the ones in 
Smith's state yes. to print what's actually going on. He's feeding them bogus news. And right. He, he, you know, his fake lackeys news. Are, it's fake news. Yeah, it's all fake his, news. His, his lackeys are doing the same. Right. And so the ranger boys, or boy rangers, boy whichever rangers. they're called. Yeah, I think it's boy um, rangers. Which, um, it's like a boy scout troop yeah. that, that Smith oversees. In his state. Yes. Um, the, the boy rangers get their instructions to print their paper which they have at their own newspaper. Yes, a, a, a big printing press and everything. Yeah, that was kind of impressed me, actually. <laughs> These little dudes with knowing how to operate a printing press, be that as it may. Typesetting by hand. Yes, ty well, with everybody typeset by hand back then. That's true. Um, but yeah, they get their little newspapers printed and wrapped and they're distributing them and these big bad mean guys are running them off the road in trucks and stuff. It's and, like, dude, harsh. And, and slapping that one kid real hard in the head when they go into where the plate into the where the paper's being printed, and he smacks this one kid around a couple of times and starts gathering up all the all the newspapers to destroy them so that they don't get distributed. Yeah. But you know, it's <sighs> a product of its times. Yes. This is pre World War Two by a couple of years. Yes. And um you know, a, a a product of its time when when people could do stuff like that and it wasn't <laughs> That's how you that's how you kept kids on the straight and narrow is slapping them around a little bit. Or mowing them off the road with trucks. Or that. Um did you uh, read here on on the wiki page for it that um Apparently, the people in Washington, when it premiered there, did not much care for the movie. Uh, probably not, because the, it was kind of a shadow of a thing that kind of actually happened. Uh, well, kinda. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, this is from the Wikipedia page, was attacked by the Washington press and politicians in the U.S. Congress as anti-American and pro-communist. Uh, yeah. for its portrayal of corruption in the American government. While Capra claims in his autobiography that some senators walked out of the premiere, contemporary press accounts are unclear about whether this occurred or not, or whether the senators yelled back at the screen during the film. Sounds to me like guilty consciences and an axe to grind um, from politicians against a free press, and oh, how far we have come! <laughs> The irony astounds. Um, a uh, Senator Alban W. Barkley, a Democrat and the Senate Majority Leader, called the film, quote, silly and stupid and said, quote, it makes the Senate look like a bunch of crooks. I'm shocked, I say. Uh, yes, Just shocked. That there's gambling in this establishment. Um, Again, you know, we've come so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yet we have it. Well, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, and I'm not surprised it wasn't popular in Wa in Washington, but it was popular in the rest of America with regular people. Yes, and while the corruption may have been overblown in the movie, um, I, I don't for one second think that the dirty tricks and the um, the backstabbing and the lies and all of that was overblown. And it certainly, compared to today, 
Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is quaint in its depiction of um, dirty politicians. Oh, honey, we were the we were the kids of Watergate. Yeah, and that looks like a picnic in the park now. Well, that's true. So um, it just. What goes around comes around, and some things and never it gets, change. And it gets multiplied it on each rotation. Well, um, I think we can rate this movie as soon as we get back from this break. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage this week. Uh, it was Maude's choice, and she chose Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, a 1939 classic starring... Uh, Gene Arthur and Jimmy Stewart, the movie made Stewart a star. Mm. Um, he was a young leading man when yeah. they originally made this movie. but um, And it is based on two, um, well, it's based on an unpublished short story and then also the life of a real U.S. senator. Um, the story, The Gentleman from Montana was written uh, by Lewis R. Foster, but the uh, it was loosely based also on the life of Montana U.S. Senator Burton Wheeler, who underwent a similar experience, it says on Wikipedia, when he was investigating the Warren Harding administration, mm -hmm. which uh, was, as I recall, one of the more corrupt uh, administrations in U.S. history. Corrupty and grafty? Yeah, all of that. Grafty is totally a word now. Exactly. So, um, it was your selection, so please tell me, what did uh, what rating do you give uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? I would have loved to give it five Senate gavels. Mm -hmm. However, the ending has upset me. <laughs> so it's getting dinged for the ending. However... The, the on-screen chemistry between James Stewart and Gene Arthur is so charming. Mm -hmm. The banter between Gene Arthur and um, Thomas Mitchell, who plays Diz, the old kind of half-drunk, um, grizzled newspaper, newspaper reporter, reporter mm -hmm. their rapport is so charming. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's four Senate gavels from Maud. And I agree. Four Senate gavels from me as well. You can watch uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington on HBO Max. Through can, Turner Classic Movies. Yes. And you can also rent it on various platforms. So give that a shot. Yeah. Um, what else have you watched of late? Dude. Okay. So here's the thing. Last week I said that my next binge was going to be Mad Men. So imagine my chagrin, which you, you actually don't have to imagine no, it because I, 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 it. I verbalized it to you. Um, I got very um, perturbed because I couldn't find it for free anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, doggone it, this is not fair. This is un-American. I'm not standing for this. So eventually I thought, hmm, let's go through Amazon Prime and see what I can find here. Because I kept seeing Amazon Prime promos and um, IMDb TV promos 
with little flashes of madmen in it. And, and it says, you know, always great, always free, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, where is it? So after some finagling and investigating, I went through Amazon Prime, and you can get IMDb TV through there. Yes. That's, that's... where I've been streaming Mad Men, and I have streamed like a beast the last week. I have finished <laughs> the first three seasons, and it is fabtacular, although... Um, This was an AMC original series. It began in the fall of 2007, and uh, this was prior to hashtag MeToo. Oh, well, yeah. Well, so were the 1960s. Exactly. And uh, viewing this program as stylish and slick and beautiful and brilliant as it is... um, even when I watched it originally, when it first came out, and I was waiting a week at a time for episodes to drop, it was it was cringy mm-hmm. on a lot of racism, sexism, the treatment of women, um, civil rights, all all of these things. Um, it was very cringy. Now looking at it so much later, after the Me Too movement, um, it is so much more cringeworthy, and I think that's why maybe it's an even more important statement than it was when it began in 2007. Um, But I've been enjoying it tremendously. I've been streaming day and night. um, And it's glorious. All right. Anything else? Um, Revisiting old King of the Hill episodes. Of course. So, you know, sometimes you need a palate cleanser from Mm -hmm. all the drama. Mm -hmm. And you get different drama with King of the Hill, and it's much more humorous drama there. So Yes. Um, and we watched a bunch of stuff together. Yes, we did. Uh, one of those things was Sasquatch on Hulu. Which was surprising. It went places I didn't expect it to go. Exactly. Because it's called Sasquatch. Well, I had only seen, I mean, I had only read just the tiniest little blurb about it. And I thought it was going to be yet another bunch of guys in the woods looking for Sasquatch. S- smoking weed and trying to find the Yeti. Well, you're half right. Uh, it turns out that, that this show is has more in common with Murder Mountain on Netflix uh, than it does with the guys who go out into the woods on, say, Travel Channel looking for Bigfoot. Trying to find the Squatch. The Squatch, yes. Um, it's uh, this journalist who I guess... I guess, as part of an assignment or a story he was working on, when he was 23 years old, worked on a uh, illegal marijuana farm in what they call the Emerald Triangle of California. Uh, three counties that are rugged, mountainous, and sort of remote that uh, they, and, and a great place to hide your illegal weed stash. Yeah, farm. The, the terrain and the climate both lend themselves very well to marijuana farming. And he tells the story of a guy who he refers to as a tweaker, and this would have been back in 93, mm-hmm. uh, who shows up at this house of the owner of the weed farm. Yeah, they're staying in a cabin. Um, and says that these three guys are dead out in the woods and they've been ripped apart and he thinks 
a Sasquatch, a Sasquatch killed them. Because there were all these rumors and stories from people who worked on the farm about uh, being watched and stuff being thrown at them, like big rocks and and um, pieces of lumber. Um, and The glowing eyes. The glowing eyes. In the woods. Exactly. And he, this journalist now, has decided that he wants to try to find some people from that era or who might know the story and figure out what happened to these three guys and if it was a Sasquatch. Yeah. Uh, I think it's only three, maybe four episodes. Three. Three. Um, and to be honest, it could have been one. Uh, I, I There's a lot of... He talks to... And, you know, they show interviews with and phone calls with a lot of people who don't really add don't, much. Don't add anything to the story or the investigation. And it is the conclusion is not entirely satisfying, but it makes sense. Yeah. So good description. Thank you. Um so if you are interested in tr this is more of a true crime than a Sasquatch it story. It really is. It's kind of got the whole suspense thriller crime angle going for it. Yeah, it's a uh, um, it's a little deceptive that they call it Sasquatch because while there is some, especially in the first episode, a lot of talk with Sasquatch hunters and believers and such as that. Uh, the next, the final two episodes really are more about trying to find people who were back there at that time and uh, hopefully not get on somebody's wrong side because mm -hmm. there's a lot of, uh, like the Hells Angels uh, run a section of this Emerald Triangle. and uh, But it, it, is, it is not entirely satisfying, but enjoyable. Oh, yeah. We'll put it that way. And I, I, you think it could have been one episode. I was fine with it as it was. And actually, when it came up at the end and promoted the next thing coming up wasn't another episode. I'm like, what? Is that it? I'm disappointed. I would yeah. like to have known more. It's called Sasquatch, and you can check it out on Hulu. Um, and uh, because Earth Day was last week... Um, a lot of nature documentaries and shows are popping up on various channels. And one of those is Secrets of the Whales on Disney+. Plus. I did not watch that with you. No. There are four episodes total. I've seen the first two. Um, and it takes a look at a specific type of whale in each episode. And the photography, you know, it's a National Geographic um, special. So it's going to be gorgeous to look yes, at. It, the photography, cinematography is all amazing. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, very informative. Um, uh, Sigourney Weaver is the, uh, narrator. narrator and, uh, you're going to learn a lot about whales. Okay. There's <laughs> really not much more to say about it than that. Secrets of the Whales, um, on Disney+. Plus. Um, also, I purchased a movie from iTunes called What We Left Behind, Looking Back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh my 
god, it hit me in all my feels. It is uh, Ira Bear, who is, was the showrunner of Deep Space Nine, has brought together a lot of the actors um, and also the writers of Deep Space Nine. And he's not only talking to the actors about their experiences and their memories and, you know, they were a family camaraderie and all that stuff. But he gets the writers together to break the first episode of a uh, projected, or not projected, a fictional fictional season eight that picks up 20 years after the end of Deep Space Nine. And I want to see that show. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, They need to make it happen. What what they laid out in this um, in this documentary is, uh, at least from the eighth season point of view, was incredibly interesting. And it brings, of course, all the main characters back with a couple of exceptions. Uh, and, of course, real life has gotten in the way. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Rene Auberginois and um, the Aaron, Eisenberg. Aaron Eisenberg have both passed away. So Odo and Nog, Nog right. cannot return, at least as we knew them. Uh, and I don't really see... I don't really see any logical good purpose in recasting those characters. I mean, they could maybe get away with it with Odo since he was a shapeshifter anyway. He could adopt a new form. Or they could bring in Salome Jans to, uh, or Salome Jams, uh, who played uh, the the leader of the founders, mm-hmm. uh, to take on that role. Um, or they could just recast because. You know, as much as it would be weird to see somebody else playing Odo, he's under a lot of makeup. And uh, as weird as it would be to know that somebody else was playing Nog, who also is under a lot of makeup. Nog is the more difficult entity for me. Really? As far as recasting. How come? Um, Because you don't have, I mean, I remember Nog. I remember his look, his voice his character, how he carried himself. Um, you can wipe a lot of that kind of stuff away when the character is a shape-shifting species. Um, not so much with a Ferengi. Well, So for me, it's just a more troubling prospect. With Odo, he looked the same way when he wasn't shape-shifting. He did, but it was his choice. Well, yes. I mean, and as we met the founders... We're getting into some deep weeds here, I yeah, understand, for fine. people who aren't interested in Deep Space Nine. But um, the founders, when they were taking on a humanoid shape, also looked like looked that. that, like yes. that. So, um, you know. It's just easier, for me, in my mind, it would just be easier to explain away the differences. Well, and I am sure there's some minor character they could bring in to play the Nog um, yeah. Role, not necessarily the character, but the role that he plays in this um, fictional eighth, eighth season opener, right. which is never going to happen. Oh, but that's too bad because they had some good ideas. Yes, they did. I was like on the edge of the couch, going, "More, more, give me yes, more." Yes, I, I want, I want to watch them break the entire season, and you know, obviously they could um, put it on 
Paramount Plus with all the other new Star Trek shows. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, you can watch Deep Space Nine on Paramount Plus. So and if you I have no idea what we're talking about, I suggest you do because of all of the modern um, Star Trek franchises. Um, DS9, I think, was my favorite, and it was my favorite for the very reason that a lot of Trek purists hated it so much. Yes. Um, the the whole premise of of the Enterprise's mission being to boldly go, and the fact that that in this franchise we're on a space station, mm-hmm. stationary. Yes. But it gave them so much other stuff to explore. We get the mirror universe, which was unheard of before. Well, that was that was uh, that was introduced in the original series. Ah. It's where you get Spock with a goatee. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, you get the the mirror universe revisited and delved into in a and, much and broadened quite yes a bit. in a much deeper way. You have the whole um, Bajoran planet, their whole spiritual world, and um, their emissary, and all of that, which to me was boldly going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. Anyway, and it, Dominion War. The Can't Dominion War. The Dominion War. Yeah, I mean, it was it was. Um, to me, there was much richer development of characters and, and overarching storylines, to me, than the other franchises were. Now, as will usually happens, the first season or two is a little rocky. The first season and a half or two of TNG was um, forgettable, for the most part. Um... And so was Deep Space Nine. They were working on. Um, they were working on Voyager, and making Next Generation movies, movies at the same time while they were making Deep Space Nine. So it was kind of scattered. Sort of understandable that they were spread a little thin uh, creatively, but uh, yeah, if you might want to consult a. Uh, a you know a listing of the top ten episodes of Deep Space Nine from the first two seasons, or the top five from the first two seasons, because there's a lot of forgettable stuff in there. But I we both highly recommend watching What We Left Behind. Oh, look at you beat feet and backtrack. <laughs> No. no, he wasn't backtracking, but he... What he, we left behind, looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So you can good. rent it or buy it on iTunes or probably several other uh, platforms. Uh, we watched a documentary called The Grim Sleeper on Discovery+. Plus. That is the story of a serial killer who uh, preyed on um, drug-addicted... Uh, sex workers in the Los Angeles area uh, back in the 80s and then took, for some reason, a a hiatus hiatus for 13 years. Crazy. And then started up again in the early 2000s. Um, And it took the advent of DNA and familial DNA Mm -hmm. in order for them to eventually catch him. Uh, again, true crime fans, uh, and I'm, you, if you're if you're a fan of true crime, you've probably heard of the story of the Grim Sleeper before. It is a um, 
more complete and fleshed out story um, when watching this particular documentary. It's called The Grim Sleeper, and it's on Discovery+. Plus. It was really good, compelling story. It was. Um, I watched an episode of Nova on the PBS app called Secrets in Our DNA. Why um, did I not watch this with you? Because I think you were sleeping off your madman hangover. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to go back and revisit it then. Okay. Um, it is... It is somewhat connected to the whole familial DNA thing in that, um, you know, there are various stories they talk about, not just giving you the lowdown on DNA and the folks like 23andMe and and, Ancestry.com and um, all that. They also, you know, you have the option of uploading your DNA results, your profile, to a uh, what they call GEDmatch which is a, uh, which will connect you with other people with whom you share enough DNA. To so be considered related. You're right. Um, and it looks at that part of it. It looks at the ethics of, you know, uploading your DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also looks at the shortcomings of the health recommendations that you get from some of these services. For instance, uh, there's the BRCA gene um, that in women, if you have a mutation of the BRCA gene, uh, one, two, or three, you have an increased risk of breast Breast or ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's the problem with that. Um, Other people can figure out your health information for one thing. Well, no. Um, there are 80,000 BRCA genes, not just three. And those other 80,000 BRCA genes can also affect your chance for developing cancer. They mentioned specifically a, uh, a oncologist who had her DNA checked and did the BRCA 1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. and... Uh, twenty, I think it was twenty-three, and he said you're at a, a low risk for for developing breast or, or ovarian cancer. Okay. She developed breast cancer. Um, it was on another gene. It was, and um, another. I forget what her job was. She wasn't a doctor, but whatever. Another woman they profiled. Her BRCA gene did show. A mutation. A mutation, and she had a preemptive double mastectomy and had both her both her ovaries and her um, uterus removed. Wow. Based solely on that genetic on, test. on that genetic test. Um, granted, you may have an increased risk. It doesn't guarantee you'll develop it. No. So. No one can guarantee that. No one can see the future. There's. Um, it just seems to me like if you are aware of that, you just make sure you have your screenings, your screenings regularly, maybe a little more regularly, uh, a little more frequently. Uh, of course, insurance then becomes a problem. But well, tell your doctor that you've had genetic testing and go from there. Some some insurances are more generous and understanding about covering things like this. Right. So um, yeah, it's a very interesting. Uh, documentary. I need to see this. 
It's on Nova, and if uh, you have access to Passport on the PBS app, you can watch it. Uh, it requires a small donation to your local PBS affiliate, but you know it's worth it to check out uh, all the programming on there because there's a lot of interesting stuff on the PBS app. And finally, uh, we watched Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. <laughs> Or pharmacopoeia. <laughs> what on, a dork. <laughs> yeah, on Discovery Plus. Um, Several episodes. Hamilton Morris is the uh, young man's name who is uh, going around the world looking at drugs, recreational drugs, that have a psychoactive effect. Uh, Shrooms, toads, fish. Uh, right. We've. Uh, Salvia, weed. Yeah, well, he hasn't done no weed. weed. Um, that isn't considered one. But uh, we've seen the Mushrooms episode, the um, Quaaludes episode, which I didn't even realize those were still in production. But mostly the ones that are made now are done illegally through these uh, uh, cooks. Um, you know, drug gangs are making them. Um, and the Salvia episode and the Mushrooms. Did I say Mushrooms already? Um, anyway, we've seen four or five episodes of it. Uh, he focuses, uh, oh, PCP. That was yeah. another one. Um, he focuses on one drug in each episode. Now, this was originally on Viceland, um, and um, there is language um, in some really. of the episodes. Also, you're going to see people using these drugs um and the effect some some of these drugs have is disturbing is scary. Um, he himself does mushrooms and salvia, at least in the episodes we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. Now he doesn't smoke the salvia; um, he eats the leads. Well, he drinks the distillate first. He he does, but that had little to no it effect. Had, on it had very mild effects. Eating the leaves of the salvia produced a much more profound experience for mm -hmm. him. And the people, the indigenous people um, in um, Mexico, yeah, Oaxaca, mm -hmm. um, a city called Houtla, Outla, no H. Um, the indigenous people there use the mushrooms and the salvia for medicinal and religious purposes. Right. And that's where he has, um, that's where he goes to, to have these experiences. Yeah. Um, and he's not shy about, um, you know, he talking about his own drug use. Yeah. Um, and he is about the driest, um, he almost seems like he's on the spectrum. He's a complete geek. He's that. Very um, dry sense of humor. You described him as, as sometimes he seems like uh, almost as though he's the only one in on the joke. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he strikes me at times, and I know you've never seen it, and I've never watched a whole episode, but uh, Nathan Fielder on Nathan For You on Comedy Central, where... He's pretending to be trying to help these businesses, and he's just coming up with these crazy ideas that are borderline illegal. 
um, to try to get attention for these businesses, and the and the businesses have no idea that they're they're part of a comedy program. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, or at least that's the way it seems. And you know, sometimes um, Hamilton seems to be subtly winking at the camera, like, I know this is silly. Yeah. But I'm going to pretend like I'm being perfectly serious. And he does a pretty good job of that. He is the son of Earl Morris, who, or Errol Morris, who is a documentarian. Um, and I don't know if Dad helped him out with this or, or if he's just on his own. Of course, now Vice uh, does a lot of this sort of more fringe um, material. Mm-hmm. Their, their news... Uh, is more uh, not in your face, but you know they'll they'll cover the stories that aren't going to make it on the six on the six thirty national news. Yeah. Okay. Um. You know, and they're going to show you graphically some of the terrible things that go on in the world. So, yeah. um, and you get a little bit of that on on the pharmacopoeia. Uh. So uh, we're watching that on Discovery Plus. It was originally on Vice. Um, the episodes are five years old or so, yeah. so, but, uh, interesting, a, a part of life of which we know nothing. That's for sure. Uh, neither of us have ever been involved in anything like that. Um, but it is fascinating to watch. True. So if you're curious or if you're just looking to have a flashback, then, then <laughs> this might do it for you. Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. On um, Discovery Plus. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it. That does it. All right. Well, next week's my turn. We're going to return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. I think. Oh, don't 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 tell. All right. Surprise us. All right. I, I actually went through the list today to see what we should watch next and sort of plan for the future. And it's going to be September before we're done. Okay. <laughs> Expected you to be a lot less happy. About I'm that. fine. All right. Well, thank you for watching. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star review. And also, uh, you know, subscribe. Even if you download us someplace else, subscribe on there as well, and or to Google Play uh, and subscribe there and leave us a review. And uh, let your friends know on social media that you listen to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. You can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. If you have a suggestion for something you'd like us to watch and talk about on the podcast, please do so. Uh, Send us that information. Send us the name of what it is you want us to watch, where we can find it, and why you want us to watch it. Send that to ComedyTragedyMarriage at gmail.com, and you can leave us a voice message Just click or copy and paste the link in the description of this episode. And I guess that takes care of it for this week. I think so. I have always, as always, have had a lot of fun. Aw, thanks. Me too. And uh, until, you know, next time, love you. Love you. And later. later. Yay!